And as you've already heard, this morning we're beginning a new sermon series. The next five weeks, we're going to spend some time thinking about uh, what comes after this earthly life, uh, the things of heaven itself and the new life we have in Christ. Uh, let's begin that endeavor, this journey, with a word of prayer. Would you join me? Father, as we give thanks even for the gift of life in this world, uh, we are reminded that life does not go on forever, nor will this world endure forever. And yet there are eternal things and an eternal one standing in a place where one day we can be welcome. Help us to seek the things that are above, even the home of heaven with Christ, where we can be with him until the day he brings heaven to earth. Open our hearts to receive thoughts that are too big for our earthly minds to dream up. We pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. Uh, well, we've been talking a lot, and undoubtedly you will think a lot about the beginning of life today on Mother's Day. Uh, I want us to go on a journey on these next five weeks, uh, down the winding paths of this earthly life and past the dark waters of even death itself to what lies beyond, a life with God in a place called heaven until the day that heaven is brought uh, to earth. Uh, as I was thinking about this series, I was trying to think, what is it that I want us as a church to really grab hold of. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about heaven. Only five weeks. How, how am I going to put this all together? I boiled it down to three things that I hope the Lord will accomplish amongst us. Uh, first, I hope that we will learn about heaven. Uh, I say this because there's a lot of misinformation about heaven flying around. Uh, the book and of uh, the book series Anna Green Grables, there's a uh, character named Davy, who remarks after studying the subject of heaven that he hopes he doesn't go there until he's very, very old. Uh, and he secretly hopes that they might let him trade the, his harp for a harmonica. Now, in that, embedded in that bit of literature is a thought, one that I think even many Christians secretly worry might be true, that heaven might be boring. That somehow after this life is over, we'll find ourselves, as one cartoon showed it, stranded on a cloud with a halo over our head, wishing we had brought a magazine with us to pass the time. And yet, if we will take the time to actually look at what the Bible says about heaven, uh, far from being bored, we will find our hearts lifted and thrilled We'll have confidence that the truest living of all is ahead of us, with Jesus. And heaven isn't something to be scared of. In fact, it's something to look forward to. Uh, we'll spend time looking at what the Bible has to say about heaven for these next five weeks. Now, we won't, this won't be an exhaustive study. There's no way I can cover everything the Bible has to say about heaven or all the questions you might dream up. Uh, but I hope that as you pay attention to what God's word says, that your anticipation and hope of heaven will build as what you know is truly real becomes all the more clear. 
Uh, so first, we, we need to learn about heaven. Second, we need to learn to live in light of heaven. I hope not that as we study this together that you'll be the proverbial person with their head in their clouds who isn't able to be any good for anyone. You may have heard that phrase. You can become so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. The thought is if you spend time wasting it on fanciful dreams of the afterlife, will you neglect your duties here on earth? But the Bible has exactly the opposite view when it comes to thinking thoughts of the place where Christ is. Uh, as we think of heaven, we actually start to look more like it. Uh, the values and virtues of heaven start to shine out of us as if the very glory of heaven was glowing on us as we wander through this earth. Uh, as we study what the Bible says about where God lives and about your eternal home to come, uh, you'll not find yourself disengaged and shrinking back from your duties, but actually more effective as an ambassador of that heavenly country to come. Third, I hope that we will have an ever-building longing for heaven. Uh, that the more we take the time to think thoughts about it, that our hearts and imaginations will be filled with little tastes of what heaven is really like. And we won't help but to long for that day to come. Uh, I hope this will be a sweet series, one that will lift your heart and give you a hope of a home that is surely coming if you are in Christ. So would you come with me on this journey, uh, past the winding paths through this world, and even past those dark waters of death that are surely coming for us all, and to a life that's waiting for us with Jesus in an eternal home. Uh, this morning we begin uh, the first installment of five, seeing that this idea of thinking of heaven, even seeking it out is not optional. That if you're a Christian, that you must be seeking heaven because you are secure in Christ. Uh, that's what we'll see this morning from Colossians 3, two points. First, verses one through two, seeking heaven. Seeking heaven in one through two, and then in three and four, secure in Christ secure in Christ. Let's begin in that first section, seeking heaven, verses one through two. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians three, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. You only seek after something worth finding. Uh, that was certainly the case back in 1540 a man by the name of Francisco Vasquez Coronado heard rumors of a myth called El Dorado. Uh, it was a, supposedly one of seven cities of gold that uh, could be found in this strange new world. Uh, he heard of it in a spot in modern-day Mexico, and it was promised if someone would venture across that vast desert expanse to the north, somewhere over the horizon, they would find these cities filled with riches. Uh, for someone that's an adventurer seeking fame and fortune, that prize that was being offered was too great to pass up. So 
Francisco organized an expedition and set across that long desert in search of fame and fortune in that golden city. Now, you only seek after something if you think it's worth finding. The Apostle Paul has a word that he gave to the Colossian Christians. Uh, They were being tempted by false teachers that were telling them that they needed something in addition to the spirituality they had received in the gospel of Jesus. Jesus plus these additional practices or additional hidden knowledge would really give them true life. And his burden was to show them that in fact all they needed was to seek Christ. And in a place where Christ is, heaven itself. Uh, He uses the word seek to describe what they must do. They must be relentless in the pursuit of things that aren't found here on earth. No, instead they're found up where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul seems to be saying that there's an ambition that must guide us through our walk through this world as Christians. Uh, An ambition that takes us above even the good pursuits of life, of family and friends and even fortunes. Uh, An ambition much higher than those because not that those things are bad unto themselves, but because they don't last. And yet Christ and the things with him endure forever. So we are to, like an adventurer, setting off across a, a vast desert, seek a treasure that's worth finding. Now that's a bit of a nebulous concept though. What, what does it really mean to seek things that are above? Well, thankfully Paul doesn't just say that. He actually fills it out with a parallel statement to set your mind on the things that are above. In verse 2, uh, the way the passage is written, those two statements are essentially synonyms that fill out each other so we can understand more easily by looking at them in parallel. Uh, there's a thought about you being joined with Jesus. We'll look at a second at his resurrection at the beginning of verse 1. And there's a thought of you being, uh, having died with Jesus at the beginning of verse 3. And in between are these two parallel commands. Seek and set your mind. Now, setting your mind gets us into the realm of thinking, imagining, pondering, and wondering. And when it comes to hiding the hope of heaven in your heart, there is no discipline more important than you being able to dwell on that thought. Now, before we go any further, further, we need to define, for a second at least, what heaven really is. Um, In a way, we'll fill this in as we go throughout the series. So I'm going to give you a very quick definition. Uh, Heaven, as put by author Paul Wolf, is a place of purity of praise, and of peace. It's a place of purity because it's where God dwells and and God is perfectly holy. Sin cannot enter into his eternal home. It's a place of praise uh, because it's the home of the angels that were created to worship God as well as those perfected saints who were in the very presence of God singing worship to him as a result. And then it's a place of peace, a, a, a place to put down your labors, uh, to, from rest from, to rest from the weariness of the world in which we've walked and lived through, 
a place of joy and satisfaction. Uh, Heaven is a real place. Uh, It's not somewhere you can get on one of Elon Musk's rockets to arrive. And yet it is surely a place that if you're a Christian, one day you will find yourself. Uh, It's a place where we will be with Jesus and that we will find the greatest treasure of all, being in his presence. Paul tells us that heaven is where our minds ought to dwell, where our hearts ought to be occupied. And that means we need to start a discipline, maybe one that you've never even ever intentionally tried before, to think heaven's thoughts day by day. Author Paul Wolf, in a book on heaven, had a challenge that I found to be very helpful this week. It was to spend just two minutes in the next week doing nothing but thinking about heaven. Uh, I think about all the things that distract you in life, all the podcasts that you are subscribed to, uh, all, all the notifications that are coming up on your smartphone, the interruptions from work emails and your kids and your family and your friends, all the things that occupy every waking moment of your life and seem to give you not a moment to think about anything else. What, what would happen if you were to intentionally push all those things away for just two minutes and think about what it would be like to be in the presence of Jesus, Uh, to let yourself ponder and wonder what it might be like to be freed from the encumbrance of your sin and your brokenness, Uh, to, to let your imagination run with the thought of what it might be like to see the glorious angels, or hear their heavenly song, or even to blend your voice with it? What might it do to your downcast heart? How might it lift it, even for just a moment, if you spent just two minutes thinking heaven's thoughts? Now, I have to tell you, I actually had a a very difficult week in several ways. And in God's providence, I I think this challenge was put in front of me in this week for a reason. I found myself greatly encouraged as I thought about the reality of heaven, something more real than I've ever lived through, and yet something that's guaranteed me in Christ, in my future, a home that I will be welcomed into. So brothers and sisters, I invite you to take this challenge yourself this week. Take two minutes to think about the heaven that one day will be the place where you live until heaven comes to earth with Christ. Now, I think that naturally, as we find ourselves in darker and more difficult places, thoughts of heaven become more sweet to us. Uh, I've observed this walking with people through various difficulties and diseases and even death itself. That as we lose the ability to focus on earthly things, the things that are above become more valuable in our sight. I don't think it's an accident that Paul tells us that we are to seek the things that are above in contrast to the things that are on earth. Again, not that those things are bad. This is not an excuse for you to not call your mother today. And yet we need to be reminded that these aren't the realest things, that there are realer things coming. Uh, This is one of the gifts that 
literature and poetry gives us. It allows us to use our imaginations to fill in the corners of our hearts where we, we can't quite summon words and images of our own. I, I love this part in Lord of the Rings. Um, Gandalf and Pippin have gotten to a really, really dark spot. It looks like their death is about to come upon them. Uh, Pippin says to Gandalf, I didn't think it was going to end this way. And then Gandalf responds, he says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Uh, death is just another path, one that we must all take. The gray, the gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and it all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. What, Gandalf? See what? White shores and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. Don't you want your heart to be filled with thoughts big enough to occupy those far off corners of it? Let your imagination wander a little bit. I hope as this series goes on, you'll be given categories and images and truths so that you can set your mind on the things that are above. Now, I do have to ask you, are there things that are blocking that vision? Maybe you have let the things of this earth block the, the sight of faith that you are intended to have, to see Jesus and the place where he dwells and the place where one day you will join him in fellowship. Is there some recalibration in your life and in your heart that needs to be made? Maybe this afternoon you need to ask some questions before the Lord of what it means to seek the things that are above and not the things that are on earth. So our first point was to seek the things of heaven, but there's a second point. Now, it's one thing to know you're going to go on a journey, but how do you know it's going to turn out well? For Francisco Vasquez Coronado, it didn't turn out well. He went chasing El Dorado, only to find that it wasn't the gleaming city of gold he thought it would be. It was just a small town of mud huts with no riches at all. He ended up going bankrupt and, and died as a pariah as a result. How do we know that's not going to be what happens to us in our pursuit of heaven? Well, that's what the second point comes in. Uh, we seek heaven because... We are secure in Christ. That's what we see in verses 3 and 4. Now, in the, these second verses, Paul, uh, second set of verses, Paul gives us the grounding for these commands that he's already giving us to seek and set our minds. And the reason that we are to do these things is because we already have been united with Christ. Uh, he said it two ways. One was at the beginning of verse 1. It was a question with the implication, yes, if then you have been raised with Christ. The implication is if you are a Christian, yes, that is true. You have already been joined with Jesus. And in that sense, you have already begun to live the life that was his in the resurrection. The other end of that is in verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with God in Christ. Uh, just as you have begun to live with Jesus, you have already died with Jesus. Uh, by being joined with him, you died his death on the cross. 
He died in your place as your substitute for your sins. And so now that you are united to him, his death is your death, and his life is now your life. And, and all of that means that you are more secure than anything you could ever think of in this life. You are in the safest place of all, hidden with Christ in God. Now, the way Paul describes it, it's as if linked up with Jesus, you are hidden away in the safest refuge of all, in God himself. Uh, there was a family vacation I took years ago where we went to South Africa, to Kruger National Park. Uh, we had the opportunity to see all sorts of wild animals from the safety of a Land Rover. Now, the interesting thing that I found was that this Land Rover, which we'd go driving off into the wilderness in, where we were going to go see elephants and lions and leopards, uh, this Land Rover did not have a roof. It did not have windows. It did not even have doors. And if you were sitting on the aisle like I was, uh, that meant that as a leopard walked right by the tires of our Land Rover, I literally could have, if I was foolish enough, reached out and grabbed it by the tail and seen what would have happened. Now, why in the world would they take load after load of tourists out into the dangerous wilds where wild animals are there without even doors or windows or a roof? Well, it's because over time the animals have become to associate the Land Rover as one big animal, a noisy, smelly animal, uh, that they have no desire to get in a fight with or to eat. And that means if you are in the Land Rover, you might as well not even exist. Now, the second you are outside of the Land Rover, well, we'll see how fast you could run, I guess. The safest possible place that you could dwell. The most secure place for your soul of all is with Jesus, hidden in God. Uh, if you are with Jesus, hidden in God, there is no possible way that any evil could ever befall you. Uh, you are so tightly joined to Jesus, so securely hidden in God, there's no accusation that could be thrown at you that could ever stick in the courts of heaven. Uh, you are so tightly joined with Jesus and so securely hidden with God that you are so loved that there is nothing that could ever separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. Uh, you are so tightly joined to Jesus and so securely hidden in God that your entrance into God's heaven is so guaranteed that there's no one or no thing that could ever send you away. You see, friend, uh, the reason why we seek after heaven is because we are secure in Christ. We know that Christ is ours forevermore, and that means when we are approach the gates of heaven itself, we will find it not to be a foreign country, but our true home, the place where we have belonged from the beginning. We seek after Christ, secure in the knowledge that one day we will be with him in heaven, and one day he'll bring that heaven to earth. We do that 
the knowledge that we've joined in his life and his death. And one day, best of all, we will join with him in his glory. Now, that's what Paul said in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, there is a day coming which we will get to dwell on in a week ahead in our series. A day when the Lord Jesus in his resurrected glory and power will return to this earth. Uh, a day when he will actually bring heaven to earth. And on that day, you will live the best day of your life. Because you will begin to reign with Christ. Uh, you will be given a resurrected, glorious body like his. A body fit to inherit the forever world to come. And, on, all that, and on, the, on that day, all the trials and difficulties of this world will be like a faint memory, so far outweighed by the weight of the reality in front of you, your forever life with God, with Jesus, in your eternal home. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know deep down in your heart that this is what's coming for you? Uh, since you've been joined with Jesus, uh, not because of any merit of your own or, or by your ability to seek after it hard enough, but because it is guaranteed to be yours, one day you will inherit this heavenly home. It's a sweet promise to hide in your heart, one that will give you hope even when this earthly life starts to fade away. I was reminded of it this week as we uh, gathered to remember and even celebrate the life of one of our members that passed away on Good Friday, uh, Hermelinda Carrillo. Uh, one of the people that came shared a story of something that was so quintessentially Hermelinda. Uh, in a lot of ways, she was a fearless woman. Even when she heard that she had uh, terminal cancer, people would ask her, Hermelinda, are you scared? You're scared to die. And she would always quickly respond back, no, I'm not scared at all. I know exactly where I'm going and I can't wait to be there. You can have that same sort of hope in your heart if you're in Christ, knowing that your eternal home is coming and surely you will be welcome in it because you are joined with Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I wonder if you've ever thought about the reality that all the things that you know and even love in this life, eventually every single one of them will end. Uh, your, er, your body, your lifespan will not go on forever. At some point you will die. Uh, and at some point all the things you treasure will themselves expire and turn to dust. Uh, even this world that we live on shows the marks that one day it too will end. The question you need to wrestle with, friend, is what happens after that? Uh, what happens on the far end of that dark water that is death? Will that be a day of joy for you or a day of eternal regret? Uh, you can know for sure that what's waiting for you is not the end, you can know that what's waiting for you is not an unhappy God waiting to punish you for your sins if you'll come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what it means to be a Christian. 
uh, to turn from your sins in the hope that you could ever earn your way to God. And instead to trust Jesus to do what you never could. Uh, to pay for your sins as he died on the cross. And, and to give you eternal life. Even entrance into the eternal home of heaven. If you would have faith and believe that he could do that for you. Uh, friend, don't leave it to chance. and Don't wait until it's too late. Find your refuge with Christ in God. And then you can look forward to what lies beyond the dark waters of death. Of a life that will surely be yours forever. Now to all of us that are Christians here this morning, I hope your heart is beginning to swell and your imagination's beginning to fill in the little corners of your heart that you didn't even know needed to be filled. In the weeks ahead, will you come with me on this journey? Spend time thinking and wondering and pondering about these heavenly thoughts and increasingly allowing the virtues and values of heaven to guide your journey through this world knowing that surely a day is coming when you will be called home to be with your Savior Jesus. And you will never be without him again, even as he brings heaven to earth. I was sent this week a poem by James Whitcomb Riley. I think captures that with a poetic imagination to seek the things that are above because we are secure in Christ. Listen to these words. Out of the hitherware and into the yawn, stay the hopes we are leaning on. You divine with your merciful eyes, looking down from the far away skies. Smile upon us and reach and take our worn souls home for the old home's sake. And so, amen, for our all seems gone out of the hitherware and into the yawn. Brothers and sisters, seek the things that are above because you are secure in Christ. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus. Uh, our hearts are beginning to long as they should and increasingly will until the day you call us home. Uh, to long with a hope that is sure that even though the twists and turns of this life may leave us weary and feeling broken, that we know a home is ours. A home is coming that we will surely be welcomed into a forever life with you. And one day, a, a life that will see heaven brought to earth. Uh, uh, Jesus, would you help us, even this morning, to hold on briefly to a little more of these true glorious thoughts? Uh, would you help us not to have our vision blocked by all the things of earth, even the good ones? Help us to have with eyes of faith a, a true sight of the glorious inheritance that's ours and the security that will allow us to live more faithfully in this world until you call us home. 
Uh, Jesus, now would you even help us to, to worship you with a foretaste of what's coming, knowing that our worship is, in a sense, uh, sent from heaven for us to have a preview of what it'll be like. So Jesus, with this song we sing, now be do worship for you, the true treasure of heaven. We pray these things in your name. Amen.